Let's take our Bibles, open to Isaiah 58. We've been looking at voices mentioned in the Bible. Over 400 times the word voice or voices is mentioned in Scripture. And I told you before, I started this study after hearing Lieutenant Governor Robinson saying, John the Baptist might have lost his head, but he never lost his voice. It made me think, Christian, of the importance of using our voice for God. We've examined several different voices in Scripture. We looked at the voice in the wilderness, talking about John the Baptist. The voice of blood, how the voice of Jesus' blood has greater things to say than the voice of Abel. That's what Scripture tells us. And we looked at the saving blood of Jesus Christ. The voice of creation that proclaims its creator. The voice of the archangel that one day is going to shout and there's going to be a trumpet and we're going to be raised out of here. We looked at the significance of the voice, but this morning I want us to look at a lifted voice. What does it mean to lift up our voice? Many voices are being lifted up today demanding our attention. We have the voice of the advertiser insisting that their product is a must-have and you've got to have this now, otherwise you're nobody, right? We have the voice of the politician promising to do better and asking for your vote. By the way, if you have not yet, Tuesday is voting day. And I shouldn't have to say, Christian, you have not just the right, but the responsibility to get out and vote. So do so. And while some of those politicians, I believe, honestly mean that they're going to do better, some of them are just lifting their voice with a bunch of hot air. Yeah, the voice of the bully demanding you must obey and do what they say. The voice of the news anchor telling you how bad life is and it's only getting worse. The voice of those that tell you how wonderful they are, which reminds me of Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. But the Bible mentions about several voices being lifted up. And you know what the number one thing that I noticed in all the passages talk about a lifted up voice is the voice was lifted up and wept. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the message, but you know, I think part of our problem is our eyes sometimes are too dry. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, and more than once Jeremiah would lift up his voice and cry over the condition of his nation. We're going to look at a few examples of the lifted up voice and apply the importance of lifting up our voice in the right way. Because while there's many voices being lifted up, many of them we can just ignore. They're just hot air blowing out, whatever. And we need to just turn all that off and realize, Christian, you and I have been given a voice that needs to be lifted up in these specific ways. And we're going to start here in Isaiah 58, looking at a few of these. So if you are physically able, if you please stand with me and honor the reading of God's word. We're just going to look at two verses starting here this morning. Isaiah 58, verses 1 and 2. The Word of God says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways, as a nation that did righteousness, and forsake not the ordinances of their God. They ask me the ordinances of justice, and they take delight in approaching to God. 
So several ways we're going to see that how you and I are to lift up our voice. First of all, we're going to see we're to lift up our voice in proclaiming the truth. Lift up your voice in proclaiming the truth. Secondly, we are to lift up our voice in praise to God. Lift up our voice in praise to God, and then we must lift up our voice in prayer. So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, again, as we examine the lifted voice again, may we realize the importance of this voice that you've given us. The importance of being one who proclaims the truth and lifting up our voice in a proper fashion. So Lord, teach us this morning and show us how to use our voice for your will and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 51, or 58 and verse 1, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. You know, when it comes to proclaiming the truth, Christian, you and I need not to hold back. I feel too often we're intimidated by the world that, to speak the truth. Well, what if I offend them? Now, I have said many times, and, I, and it's a true principle, that I don't need to be offensive in the way I deliver the truth, but I can't help if the truth itself offends somebody. Because the Bible tells us that the truth is going to be offensive to some. The gospel is offensive to many. As a matter of fact, we were singing this morning about, are you washed in the blood? You know, there's many that are offended by Christianity because they say you're such a bloody religion. You believe that Jesus Christ had to shed his blood and die. And I just have a hard time with all that blood you talk about. But without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So to us that are believers, the precious blood of Jesus Christ is a wonderful thing to talk about. And I can't help that it may offend some that don't want to talk about the blood of Christ. But if it wasn't for the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I'd still be a lost in my sins, wouldn't I? So we need to spare not. The idea is to not withhold or not restrain, not hold back. Some of us are a little too reserved when it comes to proclaiming the truth. I'll be honest with you. You may not believe this, but you can ask my wife. I am typically a shy guy. I don't like large crowds. I don't like public speaking. Didn't used to. I'm okay with it now, but I would prefer, honestly, I love sitting there listening to somebody else preaching. I would rather be at home with my family than in a large crowd. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. He calls me to be a pastor and I run for two public offices and had to go talk to everybody. It was hard. <laughs> but we need to realize the world is not shy talking about their beliefs. And they say we're to be tolerant of them. But when they say tolerant, they don't mean tolerate as in allow it to just continue without trying to stop them. What they mean is accept them and be okay with what they're doing. So if the world is not shy talking about their beliefs, let's take what's going on in our land right now. How many are shocked by how many women are thinking that killing their babies is called health care, and are standing up trying to make this sound like we are a bunch of barbarians trying to take their health care from them, when truly murder is very barbaric, especially of the unborn. They're not being shy about it whatsoever. So I ask, again, 
then on June 5th, how many of you are going to be too shy to stand there for an hour holding a sign standing for life? That's not very hard, is it? How many of you are too shy to mention the name of Jesus Christ? Because let me tell you something, Christian. When you and I are silent, I want you to understand the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verses 3 and 4. He says, but if our gospel be hid, because the only way the gospel gets proclaimed to this lost world is through us, Christian. We are the vehicle, we are the mouthpiece that God has chosen to proclaim the truth of his word to others. And so he says, when the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. In other words, let me sum it up this way. When you and I aren't proclaiming the truth of the gospel, we're doing the work of Satan, continuing to let people walk in darkness. You ever think of it that way? Because Satan is going to blind their minds, and if we're not shining the light, they're never going to see. And this world is getting darker and darker, and you and I have the light of the gospel, so you and I need to be shining the light. When I was a boy, we used to do a lot of camping. And we did have some flashlights, but we're talking back in the day when you had the D-cell batteries or that big six-volt battery in your flashlights. And, you know, my brother and I would play with the flashlights all day, so by the time nighttime would roll around, the flashlight wouldn't be working and won't talk about how frustrated that may or may not have made Dad. But then, you know, we had the kerosene lanterns that you'd have to carry because, yes, I am that old. And, you know, so you carry that to try to whatever in the middle of the night. But if you go out in the middle of the night and you don't have a flashlight or you don't have a lantern or you don't have anything, it's dark. Right? I mean, that's pretty simple. Especially when the moon's not out. It's dark and you can't see where you're going. So wouldn't it make sense to shine the light? And when you do shine the light, so even walking around the city of Havelock sometimes, on Miller Boulevard, there's not as many streetlights as there probably should be or not working as they should be. So my family and I were out walking one time along the sidewalk, which if you ever walked a sidewalk on Miller, it's not exactly the most flat sidewalk, so you need a flashlight. And so we're out there, and I don't remember who, but somebody pulled off the flashlight, because now we carry one everywhere we go on your belt, right? And so we could see where we're going. It was a whole lot better than tripping. You and I, Christian, are to be the light in this world. They are groping in darkness. They have no idea where truth lies. You and I do. The truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that can save them, and they need us to turn on the light so they can see the way. Are we shining the light? That requires lifting our voice and showing them and telling them the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ saves. Is that my timer? We need to proclaim the truth boldly. Well, I'd rather be my timer than yours, John, because I don't want your time to be up. So. <laughs> proclaim the truth boldly. Look again in verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Speak it nice and loud. And show my people their transgressions. Acts 4, 18 through 20, it says, And they called them, that's Peter and John, 
and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Remember, the religious leaders are like, okay, they, this man got healed, but, you know, there's this great miracle that happened, and they're claiming that it's because of the power of Christ, but we're trying to get them to stop, so they threaten them, and they say, okay, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said to them, whether it be in the right and the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I understand that when you are employed, you have a responsibility to your employer in obeying the rules of your employment. And most employers say, you know, we're not supposed to talk about politics or religion. And yet everybody sits around and talks about politics and religion, right? Well, why I, when I worked in the secular world, wanted to respect my employer, I answer to God. And many times at Walmart, there would be a coworker who was going through a situation and I'd be like, can we just stop and pray about that right now? And they'd be like, are we allowed to do that? I said, I didn't ask, so let's just do it. I'm not trying to be flippant, okay? Nor was I stealing from my employer, but I would just stop with the employee, another employee, and take time to pray with them. Or when another employee would be reading the scripture, as I saw one lady in the break room sitting there reading her New Testament. When she was done, I asked her, do you understand what you're reading? And she says, it would really be nice to have somebody teach me. Well, her break was over, so I said, look, I gave her my number, and I said, why don't you give me a call sometime? My wife and I will have you over. She came over to our house a few days later, and in our living room, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. You see, we're to be that light. We're supposed to teach them. We have a responsibility to boldly proclaim the truth of God's word anywhere we are. But also, it says, God says here, show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. We need to be willing to call sin what it is. Don't be shy in proclaiming the truth. We need to preach the word with a lifted voice. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Now, it's interesting to me, in the days before PA systems, that actually, as you read older preachers, teaching preachers, that one of the requirements they would have is to have a booming voice. As a matter of fact, Charles Spurgeon talked much of it in many of his writings about preachers having to have a barrel chest and a booming voice in order to be able to proclaim the Word of God. You remember in the founding of our nation, the evangelist who was preaching, who was, who was uh, responsible for the first great awakening in our nation, was George Whitfield. And many of the writings of Benjamin Franklin talk about George Whitfield and how far away his voice could be heard. So it was estimated that when George Whitfield preaching without a microphone in a setting with good acoustics could be heard by well over 30,000 people. That's a big voice. Now, while it's not necessary that every one of us have such a big, booming voice to preach the word, I think the application's still there that are we even lifting up our voice to talk to somebody one-on-one -on -one and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we sharing 
in a crowd, when we have opportunity to tell others? Because the message of God should be clearly articulated. And by the way, Franklin also said about the speech of Whitfield that not only was it loud, but he clearly articulated his words. I know sometimes I, my, 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 I get to talking a little too fast because the brain's going too fast and my words start to slur together. Matter of fact, when I was in one of my preaching classes, that was the whole critique from my teacher, that my words sounded all slurred together. I tried to learn from that. But the point being is if people don't understand the message, what good is it? So not just in presenting the Word of God and memorizing the Word of God so that we can present the truth, but articulate it in such a fashion that it can be understood. And don't mince words. Don't try to hide the truth, but preach it boldly the way God intended it to be. Proclaim the truth. Don't water it down to make it more palatable for the listener. 2 Timothy 4 told, tells us that there's going to be a time, like in the times in which we live, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. I can't count the number of times I've heard people say, well, I was watching this movie, or I was watching this YouTube video, or I read a book, or I heard somebody say, did you take it and go back to the Word of God and see if it were really so? But too often we're taking what we hear or read or been told at face value instead of seeing if it really is the truth. A time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I told you before, I've been told my preaching has too much scripture in it. There's a lot of teaching. I take that, that as a compliment. When people say your preaching has a lot of teaching in it, I take that as a compliment because we should be teaching sound doctrine, should we not? And is that not a responsibility of the pastor to teach sound doctrine? So when I hear people say, you have a lot of teaching in your preaching, what that typically means is some people are used to an emotional preacher who, who dances about and shouts and blah, 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 whatever, but really has no substance to what they're saying. And I'm not trying to pick, okay? And I'm not trying to make myself sound like some great preacher because there's many men that do a much better job than I do. But I will say this. While, yes, there should be an excitement in preaching, there needs to be a lot of teaching involved. And sometimes teaching is just talking to people. Or is our Sunday school. Um, a lot of interaction. Those that missed the Sunday school hour, we made it through two whole slides today. The rest of it was interaction, talking, discussing the topic. But I promise you, people will walk out of here remembering more that way. And is that not the idea? Is for people to grow in their knowledge, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that not the purpose? Now, yes, there should be some emotion to preaching, but it shouldn't be just all emotion with no sound doctrine, right? But the Bible warns us there's going to come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. This is why many of the churches today replace the preaching with maybe just a little lecture or maybe some drama. Or as I was even asked yesterday, 
how does your typical service go? I said, well, we typically have some songs and the announcements, and how long does that last? I said, well, about 25 minutes, and then the rest of the time is preaching. And the individual said, well, that's the way it should be. They said, because they go to a lot of churches where, you know, they sing for 45, 50 minutes, and then there's a 10-little-minute message on the end of it. My wife and I helped at a youth group, and this is no lie. Not that I ever would have a reason to lie to you anyhow. So maybe I shouldn't have started it with this is no lie. Somebody warned me about that. They said, you really need to stop doing that because are you lying to us the rest of the time? Well, no. It just sounded emphatic, but it really is a bad way to emphasize it. So I'm going to try to stop it. So we were in a youth group, and the youth workers started playing games with the kids, and the games kept going longer and longer. And I'm looking at my watch, and I'm like, man, church service is going to end here soon. And one of the youth leaders got up and said, I'm sorry, the games went too long tonight. We're not going to be able to have a message. Come back next week. And I went to him afterward and I said, what, what are you running here? He said, a youth group. I said, well, this is ridiculous. I said, you think the games are more important than the preaching of the word? Well, don't get on me, man. I didn't have time to study this week. I said, then you probably shouldn't be in the position you're in. By the way, in case you haven't noticed, God has worked on me a lot. When I first got out of the Navy, and that was right after I got out of the Navy, I was a lot rougher around the edges than I am now. And I didn't pull any punches with it. Now, I've learned that God's teaching me to be more gracious in my speech. And some of you are like, wow, if you're more gracious now than you were before, ask Susan, she knows, okay? Um, but there are some things that still boil my blood to the point of, you know what? Right is right and wrong is wrong, and I'm just going to have to tell you the way it is. Right? You know what the problem is? We've lost that. There used to be a day when somebody could say, hey, you know what? That is wrong and call you out on it. And you might get mad at them initially, but eventually you come back to them and thank them because you realize they loved you enough to tell you the truth. But now we all worry about our little feelings and we get ourselves all twisted up and all hurting about it. And we go and get mad and sitting there realizing they had enough love and compassion to tell me the truth. And you know what we need? We need to grow up and handle it like adults. You say, well, I wish you'd tell us where you really feel about it. Well, I'm trying, okay? Because that, that just, it really is very frustrating to me when somebody loves me enough to come and correct me, why should I get upset and, and bitter at them when they had enough courage to come and say, you're wrong? First of all, Anybody ever have to approach somebody and tell them they're wrong? Don't have to show hands. Is it easy to do? No. And I've had some people get mad at me when I pointed out and said, what you did there was wrong. But you know what is nice? Is when they have enough maturity to eventually realize, you know what, what I did was wrong, and come back and say thank you for loving me enough to correct me on that. I want to do that for others as well, don't you? But let's proclaim the truth. And by the way, being gracious about it does not hurt. Matter of fact, we're commanded in Scripture to be gracious about it. But there are times when some, with some, saying it very boldly and bluntly is the way they need to hear it. And it's our responsibility to know who needs to hear it which way and to speak the truth properly to each individual. Don't water it down. So the first thing, we lift up our voice in proclaiming the truth. Secondly, we lift up our voice in praise to God. Let's go back to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, and starting to verse 7, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains 
are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publish peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord hath comforted his people, for he hath redeemed Jerusalem. Now again, as I was studying this lifted voice, a category of these fell into this of praising God. And in praise many times is our voice lifted being up in singing. So yet once again, I watched you as you were singing. I think what we need to do is mount a camera up here and we could hit the playback for it sometimes when singing. Now, I understand some of you may not understand or know the songs. I get that. And I do appreciate those that are trying. But some of you who do know the songs are sitting here just kind of mumbling along. Why do we not lift our voice to praise God? God with our voice. I know because you're sitting there saying, because preacher, I can't sing. Well, join the crowd. I can't carry a tune in a five-gallon bucket. I even tried a 10-gallon bucket, still can't carry it. My wife has tried teaching me singing. She says I'm better now than I used to be. This is no lie. When I first started dating Susan, I would hold the hymnal like this, like a gentleman, and I'd try to hold it close so she'd stand close, you know? But then she grabbed the corner of it and she'd start doing this. <laughs> and next thing I know, she's way over there. I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, your singing is horrible. <laughs> I said, I'm making a joyful noise to the Lord. And she goes, oh, it's a noise. <laughs> but you know one thing she can never accuse me of doing? is sitting there just mumbling through the words. Because you know what? I wasn't singing it for Susan. I was singing it to God. And believe it or not, in God's ears, it sounds great. Hallelujah, because it doesn't in the rest of yours, I know. <laughs> he loved to hear it. You ever notice how excited the world gets about their music? When I was in grade school, I'm going to date myself. And I'm even going to refer to songs that I don't listen to anymore. I remember this kid in music class, insisting that he had to sing for the class. This is when things started falling apart in the world because the teacher, instead of telling him, sit down, we're gonna, I'm the teacher, you're the student, he let him get in front of the class and he was going to sing for us. And so he starts the music, and the kid starts... <clears throat> and, then music, and then the words are supposed to start, and the kid still... And the teacher's like, I thought you were going to sing. He goes, well, when am I supposed to start? He goes, it was, that was your cue right there. Oh, okay, I'll try again. <laughs> and he misses his cue again. And the teacher's like, uh, I'll play it with the words this time. And it was Pac-Man fever. And so, and I'm like, what is wrong with this kid? You didn't know I could do that, did you? <laughs> <clears throat> you all ask me why we don't have live streaming. Now you know. 
I do not need that out there. I watch people in their cars. It's like, what are you doing? Doesn't that hurt your head? And, you know, half of these rock stars can't sing on key anyhow. You all want to claim me, I can't sing. You've actually listened to some of that garbage music. They can't sing either. And then I hear people trying to sing along with it. You think I'm bad. They sound like a dying duck. But they're excited about it because, man, that's their music. A guy who I was in the Navy with recently just died. He said... He comes to me, he goes, Cor, I listen to two types of music. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, country and Western. I'm like, okay. And he dressed like it, too. Whenever he was not in uniform, man, he, he acted the part. And he would try singing. And I'm like, please stop, Chuck. Please stop. The world gets excited about their music. Our music, Christian, is for the praise of God. Why are we not excited about it? We should be very excited about what we're singing. Because... These hymns have a lot of sound doctrine in it. They have praise for God. And you know what they don't make you want to do? <laughs> That's my air guitar. <clears throat> All right. Now that I'm going to need Ben Gay all afternoon. 2 Chronicles 5.13, the Word of God says, And it came to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments and music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. Can you imagine this scene? Here they are with their trumpets and their cymbals and all these instruments and the singers ready to sing and this big, massive orchestra just praising and thanking God. I'll tell you, we were in a, we've been in several churches that have had orchestras. The church in Pennsylvania, Church of 1300, they had enough people there. When we're in Kings Mountain, there's a church of over 200 people. They had enough people there that had musical talent. Both of those churches had an orchestra. And you get a good orchestra with the congregation singing. And let me tell you something, it will get you wanting to have a hallelujah shouting fit. Not because it's about the flesh, but because of the, the way it praises God. And it makes me think what glory it's going to be in heaven when we're singing the praises of Jesus Christ for all eternity. But why then do we not lift up our voice in praise, not only in singing, but praising God in all ways? This passage also tells us they were thinking, thanking God for his mercy and for his goodness. Human nature is drawn to negativity. Have you noticed that? Bad news spreads faster than good news. But Christian, we're to think differently. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Christian, you and I need to train our mind to think on godly things and think praiseworthy things and to praise God for who he is and what he has done. You know, many times here at church, we have a testimony time. 
And I try to remind folks, those testimony times are times when we give praise to God for what he has done in our lives, not the bragamonies. A bragamony starts out with I and ends with I, and everything in the middle is about me. We've heard them, right? It's never praise God for what he did. It's I want to let everybody know how I did all these wonderful things and oh, what a wonderful person I am. Sound just like the Pharisee as he's praying next to the publican about I'm not an extortioner, I'm not as other, I'm not even as this publican. You know, we've heard the bragamonies, right? We were in a church one time and I called the intestimony and I'll explain that to you. We had a guy stand up and he talks about how he took his family to the zoo and this one animal that horned animal, I forget what it was, but it gouged another animal and the intestines of the animal were hanging out and he had to go and he had to help this animal and everything else. And besides being totally disgusted by the end of his, his, his testimony, I'm looking at him like, that's like five minutes of my life I can't get back. What did you just say? And there was no praise to God in the whole thing. It was kind of half bragamony, half in testimony, talking about intestines falling out of this animal. And every lady in the whole room was just grossed out. And I hope you're not today, okay? Because I'm not going to get into the gory details that he did about it, but he really did. And I'm like, what was that? When we give praise to God, it's a testimony of what God's goodness and God's greatness and his mercy to us. Let's be careful when we give praise to God. We're not trying to conceal it and be praised to self, is my point. We lift up our voice in proclaiming the truth. We lift up our voice in praise to God. By the way, also be careful in our praise is not misdirected praise. Now, there is a time to honor those who deserve honor. Romans 13, 7 makes it very clear. Render to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Somebody who is worthy of honor deserves to be honored. But we need to be careful that the praise and glory belongs to God. As a matter of fact, Jesus had to correct the lady in Luke chapter 17, 27 through 28. And it came to pass as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb to bear thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. She's giving praise to Mary. Blessed is your mother. You're a good young boy. You got a good mama. This was Jesus' answer to her. Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You know what Jesus said? He said, I put this, my word, above praise for my mom. You see, praise belongs to God. And it's through his word we learn of him and how to live and how we ought to rightfully praise him. But then lastly, and for this, we'll turn to the New Testament, Acts chapter 4. And I promise to make this point as quick as possible. We lift up our voice in prayer. Lift up our voice in proclaiming the truth. Lift up our voice in praise. Lift up our voice in prayer. Acts 4, 23 through 29. And being led, let go. They went to their own company. This is the same passage we referred to earlier about John and Peter saying that they could only speak but what they had seen and heard. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is, 
who by the mouth of his servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage, and the people imagine the vain things? And the kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast uh, anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. You see, when they were released, they went and told the others, and then they lifted up their voice in prayer. And you and I, Christian, are commanded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 17, simply to pray without ceasing. Pray in all things. Whether it's times of trials and threats, such as the passage shows, or whether it's times of plenty, you and I still need to be praying. As a matter of fact, did not the writer of Proverbs say, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of the Lord God in vain. In other words, be content with such things as you have. Don't look for riches, don't look for poverty, but be content with what God has given you and praise him and pray to him in all things and continue to remember that in every situation of life, we need to pray and trust God. But I mentioned earlier about weeping. Many of the times in scripture, the voice was lifted up and wept. Sometimes because it was such trials people were enduring or such struggles that people had gone through or whatever the case may be. But I want us to look at one example. And I said we had stopped in Acts, but I lied. We're going to Genesis chapter 21. All the way to the front of your Bible, Genesis chapter 21. And this will be the last place we look. Genesis chapter 21. And this is after Hagar was sent away from Abraham and Sarah, and we're going to pick it up in verse 15, Genesis 21 and verse 15, and the water was spent in a bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs, and she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shot, for she said, let me not see the death of the child, and she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad, which, where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make of him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. Hagar has been sent away. Her water has run out. She's in the middle of the desert. She feels there's no hope. So she takes little Ishmael and she sets him under a bush and she goes away a long distance from him and says, I don't want to watch my son die. And she starts to cry. Could you imagine how hurt this mama feels right now? Put aside who Ishmael is and what his descendants have become. I want you to think about Hagar thinking there's no hope for my little Ishmael. But God, and I find this interesting, read the words. When he comes to Hagar, he says, I heard, did he say, I heard you? He said, I heard who? The lad. I heard the lad. God cares. Now, it's interesting to me, scripture doesn't record what Ishmael was doing. 
But can we use a little bit of logic here? If mama took you and you're just a little lad and set you under a bush and it's hot and sunny out and say, just stay right here. And mama goes off a long distance and mama's way over there. You're all here by yourself. You're just a little one. And you might even notice mama's crying over there and it's hot and you're thirsty and you're hungry. What do you think the little lad's doing? I think it would be safe to say there was some weeping going on over here, don't you? Now, I don't know what, what he might have said, but as he's crying, I find it interesting. God said, I heard the lad. And then God comes to Hagar and says, Hagar, what aileth thee? I've heard the lad. And he opens her eyes and she sees the water and she's able to fill the bottle and she's able to take care of her son. What's my point? I think too often in our prayers, we pray to God as though he's not going to answer. And too often in our prayers, we're not showing how serious we are about for whom or what we're praying. Say, what do you mean? Again, think of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. How many times is he praying over his nation? Do we see Jeremiah crying because of the sins of the nation and they refuse to turn back to God? He's trying to warn them. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Turn back to God. Jeremiah, you're just all doom and gloom, buddy. You need to lighten up. And Jeremiah would weep because of the condition of the people. And the people were out there having a good time and partying and having fun. But he understands death and destruction are awaiting them. Now may I say, we live in a world that's partying and having fun, but death and destruction await them apart from Jesus Christ. Are we crying over the lost condition of men? When's the last time that your heart has been so broken over the lost souls that you've wept before a holy God? If God heard the crying of this little lad, Ishmael, how much more is he going to hear your crying as his child? And it is amazing to me as I studied through the scriptures about the lifting up the voice, as I said, most of the passages have, and he lifted up his, or she, he or she lifted up his voice and wept. There comes a time when it's time to turn off the TV, turn off the radio, turn off the computer, get along with God, and just weep over the sins of our world. 63 million people plus, as I explained the other week, in eternity never had a chance at life. If that doesn't bring tears to your eyes, you're cold and callous. It's okay for men to cry. Matter of fact, some of the instances in Scripture of people crying, when David gets back to Ziklag and all the tents are gone, the women are gone, the children are gone, and all the men now are mad at David, ready to stone David. You know where we find David? And all the other men, initially, they broke down and cried. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. He got alone with God. He prayed. And then they went to battle and got all their stuff back. But you know, there wasn't a little bit of crying first. There's times we see our Savior weeping. 
You ever think of the time as he's standing outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus, knowing he's about to raise him from the dead? But what's the verse that every kid wants to be, the memory verse of the week at Sunday school? John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. Our Christianity has way too dry of eyes. It's time we understand the brevity of life, the destruction of sin, the saving grace of God, and allow that to move our hearts to a time when we say, Lord, I have no choice but to weep. But you know, the beauty of it is the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit will make utterance for us. When, you know, you ever have those times when you just can't say anything to God? Words just fail you and you just cry. You know, the beauty of those times is the Holy Spirit takes that to the Father and says, this is what he or she is trying to say right now and interprets those tears to the Father. What a beauty. What a beautiful thing we have in the Holy Spirit of God. Do not be ashamed to lift your voice in prayer because as you pray, you're talking to God. It's not a show for man. So our voice is a great gift given by God. And we're to lift our voice in proclaiming His truth. We're to lift our voice in praising Him and lift our voice in prayer to God. How are you using your voice, Christian? I hear many lifted voices. Sometimes sitting outside at night, I hear lifted voices of people arguing in our neighborhood. I hear lifted voices on the TV, the advertiser telling me, if I don't buy this right now, my life is going to be miserable. I hear all kinds of voices out there. You know what I like to hear most? Voices that are proclaiming the truth. I remember my wife and I walking the streets of Charlotte one night and there was a street preacher out there. I just sat and listened. One proclaiming the truth. I like to hear people lifting their voice in praise. I want next Sunday when Ed says, let's stand and sing, I want it to thunder out. And it doesn't matter how off key we are. I might change my mind after I hear it, but it doesn't matter how off key we are. Let's sing it because we're singing it to him. And then prayer. I love hearing new Christians pray. You know why? They don't know all the little cliches we use in our prayer. It's just a person pouring their heart out to an almighty God. But that's how our prayer needs to be. Let's bow forward a prayer.